Ambrose, the church father, he gets this so right. He makes this observation. He says, how quickly at the word of the Lord, the spirit does return, the reviving body rise up. Jesus will not run out of time. And neither will you. How quickly at the word of the Lord, the reviving body springs up. Jesus doesn't run out of time, and you won't either, because Jesus has made time sweet again. That's why Jesus can take his sweet time, because he, he has made time sweet again. That's the whole message of this story. Jesus has got all the time in the world to make things right in your faith, and he's got time for that, and so do you. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Well, this morning, man, we have such a privilege to, to look at the teaching, the life, the ministry of Jesus. He's our Lord, he's our Savior. Please stand out of respect for him and take in this story that Mark tells us about his ministry here. This is what happened. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. 
When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakun, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. I don't have time today to take my sweet time on this one. I got to dive right in. There's so much to say. The first thing I want to say is this. This is a story about faith. It's a story about faith. What are the big programmatic sayings from Jesus in these stories? What does he say? He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. That's the first one. What's the second one? He says to Jairus, whose daughter has just died, don't be afraid, just believe. This is a story about faith. The big central scene in the story makes that even more clear. You got this story, this scene where Jesus is experiencing, I guess you could call it, he's getting benignly mobbed. (laughs) Everybody's around him. They're bumping into him. The woman gets healed. He knows it. She knows it. Nobody else knows it. It seems like he's turning around in a circle. He's asking this question, who touched me? And the disciples, I think what they're doing, if we take their words and actions in the kindest possible way, what they're doing is they're trying to defend Jesus' reputation because he's probably looking a little bit foolish. He's spinning around in a circle. He's saying, who touched me? And everybody's thinking, well, everybody is. And the disciples simply say that out loud. But they don't get it. They don't get it. And today we want to get it. You know, I think one of the ways that that we can get it is we can actually give Jesus a little bit of credit. A lot of people read this story and they think that Jesus is asking the question for himself. I suppose it's possible Jesus is looking around because according to his humanity, he's ignorant. He doesn't know who touched her. He really doesn't know. So he's looking around. Who touched me? You know? According to his humanity, it's possible, and everybody tries to shove Jesus in a corner. He's ignorant. He doesn't know he touched her, but maybe, maybe he did. 
maybe he wasn't asking the question for himself. Maybe he was asking for her. This poor woman who for 12 years had suffered social ostracization because of her flow of blood. This poor woman who felt so unworthy that did you catch it? He, she didn't even come up to Jesus' face. She came up behind him. See? Maybe he didn't ask the question for himself. Maybe he asked it for her. So that she would have the chance to come face to face with his grace. Daughter, your faith has healed you. You're one of mine too. This is a story about faith, no matter what though. Whether he asked it for himself or he asked it for her, it's a story about faith. It's a story about all the people. Yes, there was one who touched him and grabbed on him in faith, but did you notice there were a whole bunch of people around him who didn't? The proof is in the pudding. Because no doubt there was a middle-aged guy like myself who bumped into him and he didn't say, there wasn't a middle-aged guy who said, whoa, I got a full head of hair now. There wasn't some 25-year-old who said, you know, all of a sudden my abscess tooth is okay. There's all these people there. They're benignly mobbing Jesus. Only one. Just one. Just one grabs onto him in faith. This is a story about faith. You come to church on July 4th, we're all benignly mobbing Jesus this morning, we're encountering him, we're around him, don't let it happen to you. Grab onto him in faith today. This is a story about faith. But it's a story, more than that, of a very deep particular problem of faith. The story about God's timing when he proves your faith right. Timing's a big issue here. Zoom through the story with me real quick. You got Jairus. Okay, we're not going to zoom. We're going to stop on that. Jairus. We have Jairus. Mark wants you to identify with Jairus. We hardly ever in the Gospels get names of people who are healed. We get one here. People are just not named in healing stories. Jairus is named. We're supposed to identify with Jairus, not with the girl who is dead, not with the woman who is suffering from this, this, this flow of blood, but we are supposed to identify with Jairus. That's why we get the name. So we got Jairus, we got Jairus, we got Jairus. And he comes to Jesus. And in the realm of faith, if you think about it, he's like Simone Biles in gymnastics. He gets a perfect 10. He gets it right. Jairus comes to Jesus, right? A lot of people, when they have somebody who is suffering some kind, some kind of affliction, they go to the medical authorities first, not Jairus. Jairus comes to Jesus. He gets it right. He comes to Jesus first. And then he gets his posture right. He worships him. He worships Jesus. 
He gets it right. It's a perfect time. And then he comes to Jesus and he, and he prays this perfect prayer. He says, Jesus, just place your hands on her. It, everything's going to be fine. Jesus, I trust you. It's a perfect 10. No wonder Jesus goes with him. Jesus always connects through faith. That shouldn't surprise us. What should is that Jesus got sidetracked. Starts off so well, he's going to heal this little 12-year-old girl, and then Jesus gets sidetracked. It's so bad that we should probably say it was a little bit more than a sidetrack. The girl up and died. And everybody thinks Jesus is too late. Jesus doesn't. Everybody else does. The report comes back. She's dead. Why bother him anymore? It's too late. They get closer to the house. Everybody's, you know, making a commotion. They're whining and they're crying and, and everything like that. And they think it's too late. And when Jesus says it's not too late, then they just laugh at him. Everybody thinks it's too late. And of course, from Jairus' perspective, it absolutely was. I mean, this story, doesn't it just beg you to think about how this must have been for Jairus? Remember, we're identifying with him. What this must have been like. You know, he's going with Jairus at first, and then all of a sudden, you're standing there, and this woman's getting healed, and Jairus is off on the side going, my daughter's breathing is dying. You know, Jesus is doing a merry-go-round. He's going, who touched me? What's going on here? And meanwhile, Jairus is going, but my daughter's over there. See? The story just begs you to think about that from Jairus' perspective. And then, and then Jairus sees the people coming up from the house. And if I'm Jairus, I already know. It's too late. It's too late. His timing seems off. I suppose that maybe it's time to just stop for a second and do some comments about time. The scholars, they come to this story and they call it an interpolation. It's interesting how Mark sets it up. You get one story, it gets interrupted by another story. It's called an interpolation. It's an interruption. And what ends up happening then is as you listen to the stories, you end up putting the two stories side by side. You got Jairus' story and you got the story of the woman. You put them side by side. You start to realize there's some similarities between the stories. They're both about females who knew Jesus. They're both 12 years long, so to speak. One's suffering for 12 years. The other one was born at the one that this woman's flow of blood started. And in both cases, in both cases, the timing's off. This woman with the flow of blood, 12 years. 12 years of not being able to go to church. 12 years of social isolation. 12 years that had brought her nothing but financial 
ruin. Almost 12 years too late. Only now she's healed. The timing seems off. And then you got this girl, Jesus steps aside for this woman, it seems the timing's off. Jesus could have just kept on going. Can I speak like a foolish human for a second? I'm going to, even if you say no, I'm going to speak like a foolish human. Just let me do it. Christians sometimes have these trite expressions. We say to encourage each other, God's never late. He's always on time. That's what we say. Well, what if he is late? What if he is? I mean, come on. Go up to Jairus in that moment and say, God's always on time. He's never late. This would say he just was. I mean, you've got to think, think about it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm talking like a foolish human, okay? Just let me do it. Just let me do it for a second. You're in an ER. How do you triage this situation? We've got a chronic condition versus an acute condition. You got a woman who's been living with this condition for 12 years. You got a girl who's dying. Which one do you do first? This is medical malpractice. God's always on time, we say. Well, what about when he isn't? I think now we're actually getting somewhere. I think now we're actually starting to get at the story, how it intersects with our lives. People have different conceptions of time. I remember when I studied Spanish down in Mexico, being on time meant you leisurely strolled in 15 minutes after the set time. Of course, being here in the U.S., especially when you deal with military folks, you know what they'll tell you. If you show up on time, you're already late. People have different conceptions of time. And then there's human time, and then, of course, there's God's time. Of course, it is God's time. The timeless, eternal one made time and so time works for him of course we humans sinful as we are we hate that we want time to work for us we want everything to work for us in fact we live in such a technological society we think everything does work for us we just change the temperature whenever we want when we're inside we think we can have babies whenever we want we have this reproductive technology we have all these things we think we can have it whenever we want and guess what we do in the modern world we fantasize about controlling the one thing that we think we can't control that's what time machines are all about but it turns out that time works for God and not for us. And so it can happen that you can go to God and you can say to him, Jesus, my daughter is dying. And it will seem like he doesn't make it on time. Because God is on his time. 
You know why it bothers us so much? I think it's because in in the story of our lives, and in this story too, we tend to see things in the physical. I mean, how many times people look at this story and they think, I'll tell you what the story's about. It's a story about a woman with the flow of blood who got healed, a story about a resurrection, a story about that. We only see the physical. But do you remember what I told you the story's really about? It's about Jairus. It's about Jairus. And when you realize that it's about Jairus, all of a sudden you start doing a little bit different comparison. Now now you're not comparing the two female characters in the story. Now you're comparing Jairus to the woman with the flow of blood. And there, now all of a sudden you start to see some differences. You start to see some differences. Here you got a synagogue ruler who was going to church every week. Here you got a synagogue ruler who's probably got a lot of money. Here you got a synagogue ruler who probably thinks that whenever he asks for something, he's going to get it right on the spot because he's a pretty good guy. And then you got a woman who for 12 years goes into financial ruin, who gets nothing that she wants ever, who can't go to church for 12 years straight. Straight, then you start to see what God has done. The one needed an immediate healing. The one needed her faith strengthened. The one came to Jesus based on his grace and his grace alone. The other wasn't quite there yet. And so Jesus used the time, the moment. And what he did is he took his sweet time so that at the same time a woman is healed of her flow of blood, a man is healed of his self-righteousness. So that at the same time a woman is is cleansed of her uncleanliness, a man is cleansed of his uncleanness of thinking that his life has to run on his timetable. God took his sweet time because he was trying to heal Jairus' faith. Based on that idea, I'd like to propose this to you, and I want you to ponder it for the next week. Could it be that in those moments when it seems like God is doing nothing for you, that he is doing everything in you? Could it be that he is taking his sweet time to build your faith. He can do that, you know. Jesus has got all the time in the world. He made time. And so time works for him. He's got all the time in the world. And you know what I'd point out to you today? So do you. 
You've got all the time in the world. The story teaches you that. I love what the church father Ambrose said about that. We get this sweet closing scene, right? This resurrection from the dead. Jesus is so tender with his 12-year-old girl. Takes her hand. Talitha kum, he says. Honey, get up. Honey, get up. Up she goes. Ambrose, the church father, he gets this so right. He makes this observation. He says, how quickly at the word of the Lord, the spirit does return, the reviving body rise up. Jesus will not run out of time. And neither will you. How quickly at the word of the Lord, the reviving body springs up. Jesus doesn't run out of time, and you won't either, because Jesus has made time sweet again. That's why Jesus can take his sweet time, because he, he has made time sweet again. That's the whole message of this story. Jesus has got all the time in the world to make things right in your faith, and he's got time for that, and so do you. See, we're the ones that brought the clock down on our heads when we were rebelled against the timeless one. The clock started. All of a sudden, we're growing up and we're growing old and we try to stop it like Peter Pan did, but we can't. Suddenly, we're about to take our last breath. We started the clock. We did that. And then the timeless one entered time. And what you have in this story is a foreshadowing, a sneak peek of how the eternal one makes you eternal too. The woman comes up behind Jesus, just touches his fabric, a thread. And Mark says, power went out from Jesus and went into her. There's a trade there. The power of Jesus leaves Jesus. It enters us. There's a trade there that foreshadows the greater trade. The timeless one went on the cross. Power went out from him on the cross to stop the bleeding of time. Power went out from him there to, give up, to forgive our sins and give us eternal life. So that time is sweet again. So he can take his sweet time with us. And whenever he does, we know what he's doing. Whatever he's doing, he's doing it for our faith. Look at what happened with this woman. Twelve years of bleeding. What happens? Not only does this woman get healed physically, but she's healed socially and spiritually. Jesus proclaimed her an icon of faith in front of everybody. It was such a sweet moment. Jairus gets more than he bargained for, too. He comes to Jesus looking for a healing. What does he get? He gets a resurrection. Whatever 
Jesus is doing in your life. He's doing it to make you taste his sweetness. What are you waiting on today? What's taking a long time? What issue are you trying to force in your life? I want to encourage you today like this. You should be assured, based on this story, that Jesus will take his sweet time in your life. He will. He's got all the time in the world, so do you. He will take his sweet time in your life. And so it's true, in a, in a very real sense, when Christians encourage each other they, and they say, God is never late, he's right on time. They're right. It's just that we should not understand that in a saccharine, sweet way. This is a story of a little girl who died. Well, Jesus was right there. I hate pointing that out to you, but I think I have to do it. I hate it because I'm a dad. I'm going to have a 12-year-old pretty soon. This was a 12-year-old girl who actually died. That happens. It happened right here in the Bible. 12-year-olds die. It can happen in our lives. If it does, I want to encourage you with this story. Did you notice what Jesus did? When that little girl died, he never left Jairus' side. He never did. They said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus said, I'm right here with you. Don't be afraid, just believe. They go to the house. They get a little bit closer. Everybody counsels despair. You know, just cry about it. They're laughing at Jesus when Jesus says, you know, she's only sleeping. I can raise her from the dead. They laugh. Jesus never left his side. Not until she rose from the dead. This is a story about faith. It is a story about your faith. Whatever happens in your life, whatever way in which God takes his sweet time with you, hold on. Hold on, even if it means you have to come up behind Jesus and grab onto a thread. Hang on by a thread if you must. But do hang on. Jairus did. The woman did. And in God's time, he will say, Talithakum, dear believer, Talithakum, and then you'll see. That God's time is sweet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, when we see how you were in the world, there are things that thrill us about it. Your power and your grace. Not even death is something that you cannot defeat. And we marvel at that and we awe over that. 
So, Lord, there are things that thrill us about who you are, and then there are things that frighten us. We see that you move on your timetable and not ours. We ask today, humbly, that you would give us eyes of faith to see that whatever you are doing in our lives, that you are doing it for our faith. Work in us faith today that we might hold on, even by thread. Amen.